The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, squirt your code later and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 86, with guest Javal Lowy, recorded live Friday, October 22nd, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet, ASPNet, and C-Sharp classes. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who won't sleep until he gets a cardboard cutout of Javal Lowy for his bedroom, Carl Franklin. <laughs> oh, how awesome is that? How, you know, what would be better? Then, honey, check it out. It's a cardboard cutout of Javal Lowy <laughs> for the bedroom. All right, life well, size. Life size. In fact, it is, and they exist. We'll talk about that when Javal comes on in a in a few minutes. But first, it's Julian Kay. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm I'm a little bit drunk though. Awesome. <laughs> Been out to the pub, have you, mate? All right. Cheers. So, Julian, you've uh, recently come into a little care package, have you not? I certainly have, yeah. Tell us about it. Well, uh, I got six T-shirts, um, Swiss Army knife. This, uh, I'll tell you what, it's huge. <laughs> um, I used it the other day. I cut my finger twice. <laughs> now, were Quite you impressive. intentionally cutting your finger? or No, by mistake, by mistake. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I got a six-in-one tool as well, which is keyring sized. Uh, I managed to use it this evening to uh, cut open a pineapple. <laughs> well, anyway, you you got all this stuff good. because you were on the lot. You were listening to the live show one night, and I certainly was. Yeah, and we were giving away a prize, which was a USB duck. Right? It was. <laughs> which, which unfortunately was out of stock at the time. Well, out of, out, nobody could buy it. It was, it was just a fantasy product or something. And every place that we tried to buy it was, you know, there was some problem. So, yeah, so I we think just, it was only about three thousand of, of them or something made. Yeah, whatever it was, but it was like a USB key, you know, a little thing with a rubber duck on it, and it was kind of cool. So, but it, so we didn't want to just give you nothing. So we gave you a, what is it, a $300 shopping spree at thinkgeek.com? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So that's, and you've got a, uh, you've got a, uh, a URL to this. Well, to the, to the, to the picture of the stuff. Yeah. So that's, your stuff is at shrinkster.com slash one Q E. And that's your juliank.com slash blog stuff. 
which seems to be a little slow at the moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting... Forgive my poor little server. We don't we don't have fast internet here, really. And where is here? Uh, the United Kingdom. Okay, so you don't have fast. I'm only on lowly cable. Ah, uh, well, that's all I have at my house too. So. Unless... Yeah, but our upstream is not particularly fast. Okay, so if you so if you go there, you'll see picture a picture that you took of of all the the junk, the crap. Yeah, as soon as I got it, first thing I did, took a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so so, what would you tell the people who have never listened to the show live and hung out in the chat room? Well, listening to the show live is just just great because I mean you know it's, you listen to it before anyone else for a start. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know a lot of people that really like Donna Rocks. Uh, they listen to it on Monday, usually, here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, listening to it live, I mean, the only problem is you've got to wait up until, like, at the moment it's one forty-five in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And And just for the record, this is a purely coerced statement from you, right? <laughs> we wrote it no, out. No, no, I would do anything to be on the show anyway, so... <laughs> Very cool. So, and, and actually, if, actually, you know what? I've, I've surprisingly sobered up quite quickly. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's one forty-five in the morning on right. a Friday night. What do you expect? All right. Well, we'll let you get back to the chat room and and uh, and uh, thanks for listening and being such a great fan. You've been around. Uh, you've been, you've been hanging out with .NET Rock since the early days, and and I appreciate it. We'll see you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you very much. I want to introduce my partner in crime out there, once again in Portland, Oregon, kicking ass and taking names, Mr. Rory Blythe. What's up, Carl? How are you, man? I am, uh, I'm ridiculously good. That's um, great. Great to yeah, hear. I'm, I'm ridiculously good. It's been a really good week. Do you want to hear about my week or, or am I, you know, just kind of getting ahead of myself here? Well, you know, there, there's a lot of probably new listeners now that we're podcasting. And so they want to know who you are, and you know the only way to oh. enjoy you is to to get to know you. So let's uh, let's let's hear about your week. Okay, my week um, began in the beginning of the week. Um, <laughs> it's usually a good place to start. Yeah, that's what you'd expect. Um, that wasn't the unusual part. I had a really good meeting with uh, with my team. You know, my Microsoft team down in Oakland. We went down to Oakland, and Sweet. we all met up, and I got to hang out with the manager and everything for the first time since I joined Microsoft. And it was it was just a lot of fun. We went to San Francisco for dinner. Um, we uh, had a had a really nice time with our half Korean waitress. Mm. It was very nice to us and brought us a whole lot of really good sushi and blah 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 blah. Like and it was just very pleasant. Time. And then really good presentation the next day. Good. Um, even though I was only there for about 20 minutes, but I, I, I was just presenting one very small portion of the MSDN event on Tuesday. Came back, um, went to the Portland Nerd Dinner, saw Scoble there. Scoble's in the chat room now. Yeah, uh, that's so right. Scoble's joining Scoble. us in the chat room. What's up? Yeah. And uh, so there are a lot of cool people there. Tim Bray was at the Nerd Dinner on Tuesday night. Sweet. Which is a pretty big deal. I mean, having like the co-inventor, you know, one of the parents of XML... At your nerd dinner is 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 pretty big time. You guys are and taking Portland by storm over there. No, it, it was crazy. So we had a good time that night, and then I went home and I got like two hours of sleep. And then I woke up the next morning. I headed up to Chris Sell's XML DevCon with Jim Blizzard. Right. And the DevCon this year was fabulous. Like that's all I have to say about it. Yeah. I wrote up a review, and and I can't say more than what I wrote, just because it was it was really, really, really good. So Don the Box review is, is there the whole time. The review is on your blog, neapolian.com. Yeah. Neopolian.com. All right, we'll yeah, post just a link for Rory or, or, we'll post, you know, we'll post a direct link things. to it on our site. 
Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so we go out there. Don Box is out there the whole time, like arguing with every single speaker. Tim Bray was arguing with all the speakers. Um, Chris Ann was arguing with all the speakers. <laughs> Tim Ewald was arguing with the speakers. There was so much arguing going That's on. That's great. But it was all in good fun. That's great. The place had such a chummy atmosphere that you could not go there and walk out feeling down. It, it was just so much fun. Awesome. Um, so got back. And then last night, I spent uh, the evening with you know, one of the universe's most charming and attractive women. And uh, that was very nice. And I can't get over that. Like my little heart's just going pitter, patter, pitter, patter. That's, so I'll tell you something, really Lori. Good it's, uh, it's good to hear that you're enjoying life. Yeah. Because you no, don't always uh, enjoy I, life. I actually think it's really bizarre. I was thinking earlier today, I was like, what's wrong? I don't feel depressed. So that was kind of strange. But, you know, uh, it's, it's been a pretty good day. Love it's is been the, a pretty good everything. Love is better than Prozac, man. It's just better. You know what, though? The two are better than um, either. <laughs> so I can tell you that. And I'm actually taking Lexapro. It's not Prozac. Okay. But, uh, all right. Well. Yeah. And it helps me touch doorknobs without getting all freaked all out. All right. So. Hey, now. Yes. Now, that's that's so. really impressive. One little bit of bad news, though. Okay. You know, we were going to send that copy of VisualStudio.net 2003 out to the, the guy who asked for it. Yeah. And I did. I paid $103 to have that thing shipped over to the UK. Yeah. And it got rejected by customs at Heathrow. Really? Yeah. So it's sitting in my apartment right now. Well, you know so what? I have to figure out what to do about Guess that. Guess what? Joe oh. Stagner sent me pretty much the same thing. Great big package. Yeah. And I sent it to the guy too. And uh, <laughs> okay. Well, and I had him put on the customs label like you know photos from home or something like that. Are so. you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's going to get that one. <laughs> so is Visual Studio in there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I can give this copy to somebody else then. Well. Uh, I think it's just Visual Basic.net Professional, but it's still Visual oh, Studio. Okay. It just doesn't have C Sharp, and I think that's what he wanted anyway. But no, well, that, that would be VB Standard Edition. But yeah, I'll take a look at what he wanted. Try, um, try or maybe I'll write to him, and we'll just see what's going on. Try to send it back anyway, and just you know, put playing cards on the label or something. You know, just we. Well, yeah, I don't even. I don't know why <laughs> they stopped it. I feel like they took it out and saw that it was you know software for making software and got freaked out. Like he was a terrorist. You know, like he was going to use <laughs> system.terrorist.carbomb or something. I didn't. I didn't understand what what the big deal was. Wow. You know, but uh, I know that you can't export like PGP and things like that. And maybe they just took a look at it and didn't know what to do with it. You know, they said this software is too powerful. It's too good. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can't let this into the country. So, well, we got some good mail, Rory. Um, this uh, first one comes from India. And this guy says his name is, I got to get this a little closer here to read it. Uh, his name is Arun. And he says, Hi, Carl. I'm a regular listener of the .NET Rock show since last six months. I was listening to it before, but not regularly because I was living in India and we had no broadband there. Okay. So he's not living in India now. I really like your show, and so does my brother. I download your show and MSDN videos now in Canada, and then I burn it on DVDs and send them to my brother in India. I think that your adoption of podcasting for your show is a great idea. I use iPodder on my PC, and it's a really convenient way of getting the .NET Rocks show. I have a couple of suggestions for you. Number one, podcasting, as far as I know, is only being used for delivering audio, but many new portable media players have video playback capability, too, so why not use podcasting for video, too? I would definitely like to get Channel 9, MSDN TV, and .NET shows using video podcasting as I watch these shows on a regular basis. And uh, Arun, I couldn't agree with you more. Podcasting is a protocol, really. It's, a, it's actually just a buzzword term for enclosures in RSS 2.0, which, as you know, can point to any MIME type. So it would be great for software updates. It would be great for video. It would be great for audio. It'd be great for anything, any kind of file. 
that you want to push. Uh, that's viruses. Yeah, exactly. Viruses would be perfect for viruses. And so, um, so talk to Rory Blythe if you want to write a virus and podcast. I'm an that. idea guy. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's all about the ideas. Yeah. Oh, and that's Kirk Webb, by the way, who's also here in the studio. And all right, putting two cents in. Yeah. Thank you. And <laughs> Arthur Jelly is also here, but he doesn't have a microphone because he prefers to remain anonymous with that thick Russian accent, of course. They don't let me speak. <laughs> Get back in your hole. All right. All right. Number two. Hey, can I can I tell him something in Russian real quick? If you know it, yeah. Sure. Yeah. The Crocelia Malinkia, no, this Crocelli Malinki Tulpan. Oh God, that couldn't be good. Tulpan, that couldn't be good. It means you are a pretty little tulip. Oh, okay. That's all I know. I wanted to learn a little bit of Russian, so I learned it from one of the mainframe coders at right. this company I was at during a break. And I thought if I ever have to like parachute into Siberia in the middle of winter or something like that and kick open a door and say something real badass, that's what I wanted to say. You are a pretty little tulip. Great. And then you take out your Uzi and level the place. <laughs> right. All right. Precisely. So number two, suggestion number two, the RSS technology can also be used to provide us links to streaming, to streaming audio and video. This can be a better way of providing media on PCs, media center PCs, or similar devices. Uh, I can see this working in Longhorn, too. Uh, there can be a feed from a news company, Channel 9 or .NET Rocks on my sidebar, and I can just select a show from the list and start playing it without downloading it. So basically what you're saying is uh, using podcasts to send a link, like a, an ASX file, which is you know, simply a link to a, a streaming or a URL, essentially, just an internet URL. So that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So that's what I have to say, both you and Rory. Uh, keep up the good work. And thanks a lot, Arun. And uh, the next piece of email is the last one I'm going to read because this is really uh, – we, we got an email from Randy Given. And he says, hey, Carl and Rory, love the show. I've been developing software for a long time. The past five years I have been contracting and am currently uh, between contracts. I have lots of VB6 experience but not much VBNet experience. I find myself in a catch-22 situation. Although I do some pet projects at home, uh, no VBNet experience at clients and new positions require it. Anyhow, to make a long story short, if you know anyone that might have a position for my skills, please let me know. My resume in various formats is attached. Thanks, Randy Given. Randy, because nobody has ever, ever sent us, uh, you know, .NET Rocks guys a resume, like like we could do anything for you. But I, I got to thinking, you know, Rory, why, why not? Why wouldn't we read this guy's resume on the air? And if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to hire him, great. We'll have a success story that .NET Rocks actually helped out, not the community at large, but a single listener. And wouldn't that be cool if he got a job from this? If it makes me rich. Yeah, okay. And it's not going to make you rich, but it would be cool. It would be very cool. And it might make him rich. As long as it makes so rich. this guy is in Manchester, Connecticut, Randy Given. Just want to get rich. And uh, his, his education is Calvin College, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Bachelor of Science with Concentration in Electrical Engineering, Electrical Engineering, 1986. Technical Skills. For high-level languages, 12 years of VB, 7 years of C++, 12 years of C, 10 years of HTML, 4 years of PLM, 1 year of Prolog, 1 year of Pascal, 4 years of BASIC, 2 years of Fortran, 2 years of COBOL. This guy is multilingual. Uh, all sorts of databases, Access, 9 years, Oracle, 2 years, C-Tree, 2 years, 
iFix with VBA, uh, SIM scan with VBA, uh, communications, TCP, IP, UDP, nine years with Linux, WinXP, 2095, 98, WinNT, a serial port programming, assembler language, 64, 180, two years, 805, one, seven years, 809, six, two years, had ver- uh, version control experience, source safe, PVCS, and RCS. Uh, his professional experience goes on and on, but he's basically, I'll just uh, tell you, basically he's recently worked with, uh, on UTC fuel cells on hydrogen source in South Windsor, uh, at Hydrogen Source in South Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, also a contract for UTC fuel cells. Uh, he's worked at Insurity in East Hartford, Connecticut, and Veter Root in Simsbury, Connecticut, and Tokine in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and X Wright in Granville, Michigan. So this this is this guy's done a lot of stuff. So if you're interested, uh, contact Randy Given at givenrandy at aol.com. G I V E N Randy at aol.com. And there is our community service message. And I thought that would be pretty cool if we could do that. Yeah. So good luck, Randy. And now we have a a little surprise for everybody. Not even in the studio, they don't know. But I'm just going to uh, play the music and you can figure out what we're going to do next. Weirdos, 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 It's Google Weirdos with Rory Blythe. It's been a long time, man. Okay. The first Google Weirdos is a shout out. It says, why don't Rory do Google Weirdos anymore? Because he has dog balls in his mouth. Um, What? You said dodgeballs, right? It has been a while. Um, You did say dodgeballs. It's not because there have been dog balls in my mouth, but um, it's really just because, you know, the well kind of ran dry. There's only so many times you can read the words... um, you know, like Kurt Ren- Burt Reynolds naked, um, um, stuff like that. You know, um, I hate my blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, there, there's so many things that show up in, in very small variations, and there's thousands of them. So I had to kind of wait for Google Weirdos to repopulate itself awesome. with new material. And I found a little bit of stuff tonight. Cool. And for all the new listeners who aren't familiar, and just for old time's sake, I'm going to tell you what Google Weirdos is. Yeah. See, Tell us. People get to my site, neapoleon.com, through many different ways. Um, either they have the intelligence to just already know the URL, or they try to find it through some search engine like Google, MSN, Yahoo, whatever. And when they get to it through Google, um, I go through my referral logs, and I can actually see what queries they use to get to my site. And a lot of people wind up on my site who obviously weren't looking for it. We're looking for something a little bit you know, less sophisticated um, than my site. And uh, what I do is I take those queries, and I just write them down, and we call them Google weirdos. And sometimes they add commentary. Sometimes they defy commentary. And uh, as just people weird. learn more about Google, yeah, <laughs> as people learn more about Google weirdos, uh, they learn that they could communicate with me through Google. So I get these little messages, and I'm really surprised because it's been a good like two months at least it since sure I last yeah. Google weirdos, and um, I'm still getting shout outs through this thing. So yeah, the first one was the dog balls in my mouth, <laughs> um, which is just a rumor. Um, and the next one is Rory Blythe and Michael Moore hate America. Ah. Yeah. So if hating America means questioning the way things are done in this country and wanting to make as many positive changes as possible for people who are disadvantaged while respecting other people's rights to be assholes, then yes, I do hate this country. Uh, okay. I absolutely can't stand and it. And that opinion is that of Rory Blythe and not of <laughs> .NET Rocks or Microsoft. So please don't write us. <laughs> um, the next shout out is Rory Blythe, can I spank your ass? And, you know, I kind of looked at that and I was a little shocked and I thought... 
yeah, actually, you know, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Um, if you can get anywhere near me, uh, if you, if I'm like speaking in your town you go and, ahead you and, try. and you want to spank my ass, seriously, you can. I'm not kidding. This is my open invitation to everybody. Anybody who's listening, anybody who wants to spank my ass, I want, it's yours. I you want video. It. I want video. That's just sick, Carl. Are you going to Vegas? Right. I didn't say you I had to, to Vegas. I didn't say <laughs> you had to be naked, pal. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, you don't have to be naked, please. In fact, I'm begging you not to be naked. No, but you do have to have dog balls in your mouth. But if somebody, <laughs> if somebody <laughs> wants right, to so spank here the your actual, ass. Here are the actual Google weirdos. Okay. Um, no more, no more uh, ass spanking. Moving on, moving on right. from the shouts outs. Yeah. Um, the first one is simply peeing into school bus. <laughs> uh, I could think of a lot better places probably to pee. You know, like if you're a Frenchman, you probably just do it in the street. You know, if you're anybody else, you kind of go into the bathroom and do whatever, and it's fine. But peeing into school bus is a little bit weird. Moving on. So Next wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just to just what? to clarify for the new listeners, for the newbies, to clarify, somebody typed peeing into a school bus into Google, and one of the options that came up was neopolian.com. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that, but yeah, no, that I don't. Is, that I is really true. Yeah, I don't so understand either. Really, but yeah. yeah. So the next one okay. is Rebecca Loose Pig Download. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was that experience I, like that I, forced I, that guy to no type idea. that in? <laughs> loose Pig Download. I don't know. Rebecca. And who's Rebecca? I don't know. Um, next one is Maximum Capacity of My Ass. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> the next one is Buy Smart Clamp. Um, yeah, yeah. This show has done a lot of really good things for uh, for my blog. Um, the next right. one is highest IQ Microsoft employee, which is nice because it proves that Google's working most oh. of the time. Oh <coughs> shit! <laughs> the next one is what is a picture made from a painting that also uses things like real hair or material for a dress? Wow! What the f is that? Wow! It's not even like remotely grammatically correct. <laughs> I like oh, wait a minute! One more just, time. Say that one more time. What is a picture? It, it's this is it's almost like Jeopardy, right? Um, for <laughs> idiots, what is a picture made from a painting that also uses things like real hair or material for a dress? Uh huh. I can't even figure out what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> the, the next one is standardization of onion, um, which I totally agree with because like some onions are NC, some are UTF eight, you know, and they're like all fighting, and I'm sick and tired of this crap. I just want one standard onion. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you got walla walla, you got yellows, you right. got whites, you got browns, reds, purples, pinks, and I'm just sick of this shit. The next one standard is, onions, and this kind of goes along with onions. Um, explosive diarrhea, cha cha cha. Um, cha cha. I don't know what's with the cha 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 part. Yeah, it's, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rhythm method for uh, anyway so yikes next one is dumping an access database into excel and i think that's mm. kind of like drinking your own pee you know <laughs> oh <It's>, oh <coughs> not ex nothing oh you to move into a slightly more robust storage mechanism as opposed to like going from something that's kind of you know access isn't bad the, the access to access is what kind of you know trips us up but the database itself isn't bad but moving that into excel which is sort of like moving it into a comma delimited file is a little bit weird to me it is. finally the last one is i am the architect of your doom and well it's nice to meet you so that's very nice so that is google weirdos for um I am the, the architect of your My friend, you are truly, truly one of a kind. And I thank you for being you. Oh, okay. You're welcome. And please don't write emails to us complaining <laughs> about Rory. Yeah, we're not serious about this stuff. Really? You know, I mean, at, at dinner time in conversation, I'm really... um. 
very well behaved. It's just he's a, a phone. He's and, a great guy. He likes to get laughs. That's all there is to it. Yeah. All right. So suck it. Okay. Woo. So we we got to follow that with uh, introducing the guest, and you know now that it's now that we're half hour into the show. Uh, which is just a little bit longer than we usually go before we actually talk about programming or .NET. Let me introduce for the third time on our show, Javal Lowy. Javal Lowy is a software architect and the principal of iDesign, www.idesign.net, a company focused on .NET architecture, consulting, and advanced .NET training. Javal is a Microsoft Regional Director for the Silicon Valley working with Microsoft on helping the industry adopt.net. His latest book is Programming.net Components, second edition, O'Reilly 2005. Javal participates in the Microsoft uh, internal design reviews for future versions of.net. Uh, he has published numerous articles regarding almost every aspect of.net development and is a frequent presenter at development conferences. Microsoft recognized Javal as a software legend. And gave him his own cardboard cutout, ladies and gentlemen. That's one of the world's top .NET experts and industry leaders. Will you please welcome the very, very uh, low opinion of himself, man, Juval Lowy. <laughs> Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, Juval. Those, Good. Those cardboard cutouts really do exist. I shit you not, right? I mean, all they have to do is just go to Google and uh, type where's Juval Lowy, and they're probably going to see that... Uh, what we did in TechEd uh, a year ago, right? Remember those? Right. Yeah. Where the LDs uh, stole the cardboard cutouts and took them uh, on a day tour in all sorts of places, you know, driving the conference bus and checking people into the conference. Yeah, that's right. So basically all the software, uh, all the software legends got cardboard cutouts of themselves. Now, who who did that? Was it somebody's Stephen idea? Fort, uh, Stephen Fodor stole my, my cutout and ran amok with it in Dallas. But whose I, who's <laughs> idea was it to create them in the first place? Um, the Software Legend campaign. Okay. So what does it take to be a software legend, and why isn't Dan Appleman a software legend, for example? I don't know exactly all the criteria. I suspect uh, part of it is uh, just awareness. Like, you know, they did a survey yeah. what names developers recognize. Right? Yeah, okay. Such. All right. Cool enough. So, uh, so what you been? Uh, what have you been doing lately? I know that we've uh, we're collaborators, partners in crime at uh, Dev Connections. We're co uh, chairs of the 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 Windows Forms essentially side of Dev Connections, the Visual Studio Connections, and the framework side. Yeah, and the framework side. So uh, we've been busy lately. You've been busier than I have. You know, putting together grids and of speakers for the spring show. But we're about to do the uh, the fall show in Vegas. Las Vegas in about two weeks. And uh, are you coming to the .NET Rocks party before? No, I'm going to be there with my family. And so... Uh, ah, right, right, right. Wouldn't be able to do it. That would be bad. Honey, see you later. I'm going out with Carl and Rory to a strip bar. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand that uh, to lead the lifestyle that I lead, uh, you have to have a very supportive and kind and uh, amazing wife. But that would be really crossing the limit. Right. But it's a great show. I mean, we have tons of uh, material on the emphasis. The theme in this conference is uh, productivity yes. and smart clients. Yep. And um, it's really, I really feel that .NET is coming together, uh, coming of age. Yeah. 
finally know how to do things. We know, you know, to separate the hype from the actual essence, and we know techniques that work. And mm-hmm. that's really what we're presenting in our conference. The, um, the other thing that we, I think we made a good call is that we put in a fundamentals track so that people who are brand new to .NET, because there's a lot of people now now getting into it that you know have been not paying attention for the last couple of years, and they need fundamentals. They need the stuff that we were talking about a couple of years ago. Absolutely right. .NET has been around for about four or five years, and the first wave of adopters were basically your typical early adopters. The technical leads, people who are typically on the other gun, the cool things. But by and large, the mass adoption hasn't happened yet, partly because of the recession. Right. And so another three, four, five years have passed, and systems do get old and become obsolete and walk away. And most companies now are saying, okay, now it's the time to do the next generation. Right, right. And of course, we're not going to do it with yesterday's technology. And so what we expected was the next wave of .NET adoption with .NET 2.0 being the catalyst for that because it's actually the, the third release of .NET. Right. Version 3. So, it's always a charm. It's always right? a charm, exactly. And so, Even though it's .NET 2.0, it's really the third iteration. That's right. Yeah. And so we have a fundamental track where we actually go over the basics of what's an assembly and uh, right. C Sharp for C++ developers and VB uh, 2005 or 2003 for uh, VB6 developers and so on. Yeah, and it, it's worked out because we ha- we're having record attendance at this right. show, and so a lot of people are obviously really interested in that. Uh, I tell you, I did the uh, Microsoft Code Camp up in uh, Boston with Tom. Uh, Tom Robbins is the, the the coordinator of that, and it started in Boston, and this is the second one, and now they're taking this whole thing national. It's basically local Microsoft offices are doing weekend gigs. So they basically get people together on the weekends and they find speakers like yourself and myself and, you know, people who are on the Speakers Bureau and just in the community, you know, in the area to come in and do a couple of sessions <clears throat> and it's free. And they, of course, Co- they Co- give away Co- lots too, of... got a lot of talk time at XML DevCon. Like everybody from the East Coast who was at the DevCon this year yeah. was talking about Code Camp 2 and how cool it was. It was very cool. And uh, there's actually a, a little video of me teaching... Uh, at CodeCamp, up on my blog, which is uh, weblogs.asp.net slash cfranklin. If you go up there, you'll see it. Uh, And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's a fantastic idea. In fact, we have actually found in the Bay Area, we have the Bay.net user group, which is uh, not the largest and one of the largest .NET user groups in the world. And we have a concept that we call an education day. Well, once or twice a quarter, we get the top-notch speaker, and for a whole Saturday, we basically uh, drill down on a topic. And we have tremendous response for those days, in excess of 100, 150 attendees. And, I mean, the, the, yeah. the concept of doing an education day on a Saturday, I like that. Yep, it's cool. And actually, Tom Tom Robbins is going to join us after the break for a little, uh, just a, a sort of a wrap-up of, the kind of stuff that how that happened because it's it's really going national. Like Microsoft is uh, is taking his program and his idea national. Um, we we did some training on the weekends at Franklin's Net. Uh, Russ Fastino and I used to do a VBNet Lost Weekend, <clears throat> and it was a you know a discount price. It wasn't free, but it was cheap, and we used to get 
we used to pack them in. So that's obviously true, you know, that people can't come out during the week. But, you know, they can come out on the weekend. And yeah, you know, I see it with my customers, too, that what the recession made is it forced many companies to work a lot harder and to do more with less. I mean, it's not a cliche. People actually work really hard nowadays. Right. And so, you know, taking off a day or two during the week is usually out of the question. Right. It's true. So it's good. And and we what I was saying was about the Code Camp is that I did a, a fundamental session on objects in VBNet for VB6 programmers. And I swear, I asked a, a room of 150 people, you know, how many of you have been working with VBNet? And only two of them raised their hand. So hmm. there's a lot of people that are just getting into it. And and I agree. I think Widby is the perfect solution. Uh, I mean, the perfect... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that if you're absolutely new to .NET, you might want to wait till Widby comes out, right? Because there's a lot of things that you don't have to do. I mean, that's my opinion. I don't well, know no, what you I think, mean, as a, as a stockholder in the company, I would actually prefer that they go out and get copies of 2003 right now <laughs> and then upgrade to 2005. I don't see any reason to wait. Yeah. You know, don't be fools. And I know buy you're... a few copies. of. The, in fact, you should all get BizTalk uh, <laughs> installs as well. But, um, I know you're, I know you're just deck, being funny, so. Rory. I know you're just being funny, but it actually, if you were to take that seriously, because, you know, there might be some people at Microsoft who have that opinion, uh, yeah. you're actually going to get much better results if you tell people to wait for Whitby. Much I, th- I think you're right, but I also think that because we don't know exactly when Whidbey is going to ship, uh-huh. um, and because people need to be more productive now, today, immediately, yeah, and because I want to be your just- you should really go out and get <laughs> 2003 right now. Okay. But Rory, wouldn't people starting development now on a project actually ship on 2.0 anyway? Right. What do you know, Juval? <laughs> so everybody go out and get a copy of 2003. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have unplugged from the collective. So saying you've been working for the man too long. You work for the man. <laughs> Your chips are all malfunctioning. We'll have you fixed. <laughs> oh Jesus! So, so Javal, um, I read with great interest an article in MSDN magazine you wrote recently about serialization in Framework 2.0. Can I ask you a few questions about that, or would you like to start with some more general questions about 2.0? Um, go ahead, whatever you prefer, really. Well, it was it was pretty cool. Give us uh, an essence of of what you talked about in that article. And so, serialization is one of those uh, deceptively simple problems that you have to solve when you're developing systems. You're saying I want to persist persist the state of my object, and various technologies from Microsoft over the years came up with all sorts of solutions for that. In MSC, you had archiving. In uh, COM, you had uh, a set of interfaces, iPersist stream, and so on. Mm-hmm. And .NET has this nice attribute called uh, serializable. Just slap it on a class, and two lines later, you basically can dump an entire graph of interacting objects to the disk, your entire state of right. the application. When the user closes the application, life is good. So right. on, on cursory look, it looks great, but there's a whole set of issues just a myriad of, of topics and, and, and pitfalls that happen when you start serializing the state of your objects. How do you serialize delegates and you have a list of subscribers? You want to dump them? Yes, no. Right. Security with it and uh, custom serialization and all sorts of things that raise their ugly head. And over the last uh, few years, I actually realized that you really have to perfect the existing uh, infrastructure and add and polish things that Microsoft did not do. Right. And so that was like half the article, basically a set of utilities I developed. And the other half basically presented 
serialization features in .NET 2.0 because Microsoft too was well aware of those uh, shortcomings. So what are some of those shortcomings? Let's talk about those. And so, First of all, why don't, why don't we do the, the gratuitous definition of serialization for anybody who's just got caught off guard by that? Serialization means taking the state of the object and dumping it into a stream. It's actually a legacy term. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's done in a serializable manner, I mean, right. one bit at a time, but it's a legacy term from uh, C++, actually. Turning an object into a, a bunch of bits. Into a bunch of bits, exactly. And if you were doing it in C++, you basically have to write the code for doing it. Right. And while there's nothing wrong with writing code, there's a lot of things wrong with unmaintainable code. And it turns out that writing serialized serialization code is one of the most unmaintainable bits of code you could have. Right. Because as the type definition evolved over time, you always have to go back and retrofit your member variables. Right. And if somebody tries to um, deserialize an object using the old serialized information, uh, things broke down. And I mean, you were lucky if actually right. you got an exception when you were trying to do it, but sometimes you were actually doing it, and two days later the program crashed. Right because you had some corrupted member uh, variable and go and figure that one out. And you can actually have this experience yourself in .NET if you want by using iSerializable and implementing your own code to do your own serialization, right? That's right. And that's basically the classic C++ way of doing it, right. one member variable at a time. Right. And so there's all sorts of issues with versioning. And yeah. I mean, custom... <laughs> say the least. I mean, in a way, it's a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you slap the attribute and you are done. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, it's fully customizable, one member variable at a time. Right. But reality is not just black and white. There's all the shades of gray, and usually you're in between. Most member variables you want to dump automatically. There's just one thing you want to do <laughs> right. Uh, uh, manually, right? Like open a connection when you're being deserialized and so on. Right, right. And forcing somebody to go through the entire nightmare of custom serialization, um, that's not too good. And if you start mixing serialization with class hierarchies, the house of card comes down because if right. anybody in the class hierarchy is using iSerializable, anybody deriving from it has to also implement it, even though you had nothing to do with custom serialization. Right. So you have basically this vertical coupling in your class hierarchy. Have you There's seen? Issues. Yeah. Have you seen people get into that um, box box into a corner using iSerializable in .NET? All the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so in .NET 2.0, they added uh, a few features. One of them is serialization events which is attribute-based way of being notified about stages in the serialization. So, in fact, you don't really have to implement custom serialization for most, um, shall we say, uh, mundane serialization needs. So it breaks it down to a level where you can just respond to things that need to be serialized on an as-needed basis. Absolutely, and it doesn't pollute the, base, the class hierarchy because those things are specific to each level in the class hierarchy. Yeah, that's in fact, sweet. that particular piece of mechanism is was actually developed originally for Indigo, and hmm. there was a great unification in, inside the working teams in Microsoft where they uni unified web services, enterprise services, serialization, remoting, com, IF. It's not just one big family now. Mm -hmm. And so we actually see the benefits of that in the framework where they basically said, since we have this infrastructure and the technology for doing it, why not just actually ship it as well in would-be? Right. And uh, right. it's basically it's a precursor for Indigo. In Indigo, you're going to have a very similar set of serialization events, even though uh, serialization Indigo is a little bit different because it faces a different set of problems right. as opposed to serialization in, uh, in .NET. 
But nonetheless, that's a great feature. Another feature they added was um, version tolerance. In .NET 2003, if you serialize an object to a file and try and read the information into a new version of the object with a new member variable, you explode. Or if you remove a member variable, you also explode. It basically, it's immutability of the object. Once any customer of yours serialize any one of your objects, you're not allowed to change anything inside the object, including private members, yeah. which, is, which is a surprise because one would think that with interfaces and encapsulation of internals, you should be fine, but you're not right. fine. Yeah. And so they retrofitted the binary formatter to be a bit more, a bit more forgiving. Yeah, so okay. by default, it would behave just like 2003, but you can annotate it and say to it, well, this is actually optional. Don't explode on me if you try and if you reach the conclusion that he doesn't fit. Yeah. And hey, Rory, I heard, I saw in the in the chat room you posted a little thing that says serialization equals equals awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think actually it's a fantastic mechanism, um, and people are actually using it in a very creative way. For example, instead of bothering to maintain a full-blown configuration file with settings and such, they actually have a configuration object that has all the settings of their program, and they just simply serialize and deserialize that, for example. Which is really cool. Which is yeah. really cool, yeah. The, 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 the biggest problems I've had with serialization have come when, um, oh, good God, when you're, when you're trying to make, when you're trying to get your class hierarchy to map to an existing um, right. data structure Eesh. somewhere, and... and uh, like I, when when I was doing some interop between some uh, .NET and, and Java web services, there was a lot of misunderstanding, you know, about what was what and about how things should be serialized and about who was expecting what kind of data where. And um, that's actually XML serialization, which is not the serialization I was talking about. In fact, in .NET, there's two. Oh, are we talking about binary serialization right now? Yeah. Oh, well, you were just just then, Jabal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but let's get back. About... Let's let's get back to that. Uh, to to Rory's point there, with a with the XML serialization, that you're you're going between Java and uh, and .NET Web Services, right? And so was it an XML issue or a serialization issue or both? Well, the issue, in my opinion, was that um, the XML messages that were getting passed in f- back and forth between the uh, originally it was a Java to Java app, and uh-huh. it was a total nightmare. Um, All right, and. And the XML structures were sloppy and bad and disgusting. Right. And I wanted to have a class. They wanted me to rewrite um, the Java, one Java portion in .NET. And I wanted to do it in such a way that I wouldn't have to adopt the really filthy, disgusting right. um, Java hierarchy that they had chosen. Yeah. Um, and so I used serialization to, uh, so, that, so that I could take a, a nice, good-looking, attractive, sexy class hierarchy yeah. and serialize it so that it would look like that disgusting object. It's sort of like um, <laughs> oh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? There's a little potion right in the middle. Right. And I was taking these nice classes and turning them into these really ugly XML messages and then <laughs> beauty, sending them over the wire. Beauty to crap. <laughs> right, exactly. But it, well, it allowed me to code against a nice model internally right. and not have to worry about what the message looked like when it was going over the wire. So that was nice. And I have XML serialization to thank for that. Otherwise, I would have been stuck, you know, mm-hmm. having to come up with some really bad hack or um, or just have to adopt their um, structures, which I hated. So yeah. it was very cool. So you're saying, Juval, that in the in the binary formatter now, it's going to be a little bit more forgiving, like with versions and stuff. But one of the things, one of the features, if you want to call it that, is that it, you know, you could call it a feature or a curse. But, you know, the way that it handles data sets, it basically forks internally. 
right. and says, uh, currently, you know, if this is a data set, then we're going to serialize it as XML. And if it's not, we're going to, you know, if, if it's got, if it's serializable, then we're going to use the binary formatter. Does it, is it doing that kind of stuff for, for other kinds of objects too? Or is it just by nature, just a more easier to deal with? It's much more easier to deal with. Um, Microsoft has actually realized that, and by the way, this is only in the binary formatter. The SOAP formatter is uh, borderline deprecated. I mean, they haven't done anything really? in that. Yeah, it's it's a dead end. Uh, in other words, it's they're not taking it out, but they're not going to update it. They haven't even decided if they're going to take it out or not. They wouldn't take it out. Um, well, they could just put the obsolete attribute on it. Okay, but that doesn't mean you can't use it. Uh, just true, means you're going to get a nasty warning, right? Yeah, and it just means that they're probably they're they're never going to make a better version of it or carry it forward. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in production environment, there's actually no reason to use soap serialization. Soap serialization, the only advantage it has is it's human readable dump well, of the object. But Rory just explained a, a situation where he would have been stuck ah, with that. He was talking about XML serialization, which is totally different. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh. Okay, so Rory, it wasn't a soap serializer. Right, no, Juval's okay. exactly right. Um, All right. Because we, we were sending the XML messages in the SOAP body. So. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so the only advantage of SOAP serialization is it's a human-readable format of the object. Right. And so for debugging, it's great. You get to see what was dumped. Uh, but for production, why? Right? It doesn't, it doesn't add any value. Right, sure. And so by and large, you shouldn't use it in production environments. And, uh, and also if you're concerned about you know, efficiency... It's not not very efficient, and it's well. I mean, it's not efficient to process, and I it's agree, not efficient, it's efficient to... but it's actually uh, immaterial because you touch the disk. So the well, more okay. you touch the disk, <laughs> doesn't matter. You're at that screwed point. anyway, right? It's just good anyway. Yeah, <laughs> true. But serialization can be used, and I showed it in the article for all sort of things like uh, deep cloning of objects. Yeah, that's a question I I get a lot. You know, when I'm when I'm talking about serializing, is that. Is it a shallow serialization or a deep serialization? Shallow meaning you only take the properties of the object itself and not any of the properties of objects that are references of those. Full-blown graph of the object dump. Wow. Yeah. So, But that means that every class that is a member all the way down, all the way up the tree, you could say, or all the way down the tree, whichever way, depending on how you're looking at it, is got to be serializable. Correct. Yeah. And that's, but that's true now. Even now. That's true now, and that's actually it's, going to remain true also in the future. Yeah, sure. Right. Now, there are other issues uh, going across boundaries with serialization, which um, are addressed much better in Indigo, right? Okay. And I'm not sure I can actually talk about that, but right, imagine well, if you don't even know that the other side is .NET, how, what's your data contract? What do you pass the other side, right? Yeah. And that's something that we don't have the tools today in .NET to answer, but in Indigo we will have. Cool. Cool beans. Now, um, another thing you said in the article is that the binary formatter produces tighter data. Correct. If yeah. you look at the size of what is being dumped, it's a bit more concise. Yeah. Which would make sense. It does. Right. Yeah. But make no difference whatsoever because right. you're touching the disk anyway. Oh, okay. So even in the binary format, you're touching the disk. Oh, I mean, if you dump into a file like most people do. Oh, yeah. okay. But but even if if, if you're con- you know if you want to get a graph of an object and then send it across the wire across your network, you know. 
network are almost just as bad as disk. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, but yeah, it can actually reduce the payload a little bit. Yeah. Are they doing compression at all? Um, no, but you could come up with your own formatter, which right. uh, does uh, the compression. Or in 2.0. I mean, if, it, if it's all stream-based, you can just use one of the compression streams. Absolutely. And what about a sync? Can you use a sync as well? Or is that just a remoting thing? actually a remoting thing. Okay. Because I love the idea of a sync. You know, you just register this well, thing in the stream. But, yeah, you know, and, uh, serialization happens a little lower. The only reason to use remoting today is if you need that level of extensibility. Right, right. Which I just saw a great uh, demonstration at the Connecticut.net user group meeting last uh, Wednesday, this past Wednesday, where it was using all remoting, passing, you know, what are they, X509 certificates and, and doing all kinds of encryption and and uh, work, working with syncs. And it was really, really cool. And it was based on an architecture of an actual app that that's shipping in production and, and works really well. But anyway, so, it's, so remoting isn't really dead, right? It's just that, you know, and it works fine and, uh, and you can use it. I would say... I wouldn't say fine, but... Uh, well, it works... Uh, okay, you're right. Yeah, it does have its issues. One of the biggest issues is just approachability. Uh, you know, I know people who who have tried to get remoting going, and it took weeks and weeks and weeks because they didn't understand what, you know, that, oh, this has to be uppercase here in right. the config it, file. just too many it's moving seven. parts in remoting, but right. you get what you pay for. In essence, it's a very open architecture. Right. So the price you pay for that wonderful extensibility, being able to inject those sinks and do all those things, yeah. is an architecture with just more moving parts that everything has to be aligned. Right. If everything is a closed architecture, everything is already connected to everything else, right. there's nothing for you to do. Right, right, right. That's a very good point. And, and, you know, like I said, weeks, and people have given up because they couldn't get... And the error messages you get are like, you know, version incompatibility, when in really what you didn't do is use a capital, uh, you know, C on single call in your config file. Which is the way it should be, in my opinion. As somebody who's extraordinarily anal and wishes that more people would pay attention to those details and that the whole world were OCD like me, um, I think everybody's just getting what's coming to them. Maybe that's cruel. <laughs> it is. But. That's insane. <laughs> There's that uh, uncomfortable pause that we told you about. Okay. <laughs> Awkward silence. Awkward silence. <laughs> Got to get those crickets. What, just because the co-host is a jerk? I mean, <laughs> yeah. But he's in a good mood, so we're really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, but civilization wasn't the most interesting thing I did this summer. Okay, what'd you do? I um, wrote for Microsoft a white paper on a new namespace coming up in would-be called System.Transactions. Tell me about it. Tell me, tell me, tell me. So tell, it's tell a me too. space that was very much outside the limelight. Even though it's in beta one, you can actually play with it. And so if you look at transactions the way they stand today, you have basically two programming models in .NET 2003. You can either use explicit transaction management, which means you go to the connection, you say begin transaction, you do your work, rollback, about the whole thing, right? Or you could use enterprise services, you put an attribute or two when you are done. And the thing is that the explicit model only works with a single object and a single database. 
I know developers actually using it with multiple objects but, and multiple databases, but that doesn't actually work. Even though they think that it does, it does not. So it's not a distributed transaction. It's definitely not a distributed transaction. Okay. And the enterprise services model, even if you only have an object and a single database, is always a distributed transaction. So in fact, .NET, the way it stands today, equates explicit transactions with a local transaction and a declarative transaction with a distributed transaction. Mm. And mm. you can't, for example, use declarative local transactions. So you can't right. use very easily explicit distributed transactions. Although with uh, XP Service Pack 2 or uh, Windows Server 2003, you can use service domains to uh, do explicit distributed transactions, but mm. that's like, you know, digging even deeper in the hole you're already into, right? Yeah. And so, in the future, we we will need to actually even extend this model in, over the web and over services, right? Right. And so, what Microsoft is doing in that namespace is providing the foundation, the infrastructure for um, unified transaction management uh, uh, infrastructure. And so, hmm. what that namespace will enable you to do is even if you're using enterprise services, it will actually start as a local transaction. You only pay the cost of a local transaction. Mm. And the moment another database is called in or you interact with a remote object, any kind of distribution, basically, it will automatically promote it to a distributed transaction. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. And also, if you're doing it explicitly, it will start as a local one. And the moment somebody, the need for distribution uh, uh, um, that's alive, pretty, basically that's automatically awesome. get promoted. There's nothing you have to do about it. It's the same programming model. So and it's kind of like it's kind of like you know just being able to scale up when you need to without having to rewrite your code. It's a it's a classic pay-as-you-go approach for transaction management. That's pretty slick. That's slick, and nonetheless, I mean, I, sh- I think that there's really no case for doing explicit transaction management. Today, you should always use declarative. If the it's there, with sure. declarative is that it forces you to use enterprise services. Right, right. The problem with enterprise services is <laughs> it's an extra tool, and most developers just can't gawk it. And so this is really a good middle-of-the-road approach for solving the problem. And so I have a paper that outlines this and all sorts of issues that you're going to have, like concurrency management and threads, and, and hopefully it's going to be published uh, within the next few uh, weeks or months. That's great, man. Yeah. Now, you, the very first show you did with us, you've done two shows. The first one was all about system enterprise services, which That's you were right. really, really excited about. And, I, you know, as it turned out, not a lot of people got interested in enterprise services. And we, I know that for a fact because, you know, when we were doing Dev Connections, uh, before you came on board at Dev Connections, we were, we were doing talks on enterprise services. I think uh, Rocky did one, and nobody showed up. Nobody yeah. showed up. Uh, I'm not it wasn't surprised. even just one person, but nobody. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, 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 Microsoft um, did a true marketing scene by dusting enterprise services under the rug. And if you look at the marketing messages for Microsoft. Yeah, it's all web it's services. Before that, that was released, it was all about web services and remoting right. and enterprise services right, right. hardly ever mentioned. When, in fact, enterprise services wrappers around Plus, which is sort of you know, where the, they were moving towards .NET and they didn't even know it at the time. Oh, actually moving even towards Indigo, right? Yeah, right, sure. And so by far it was actually a mistake. They're trying to uh, change that message now 
but you know the damage is already done. The other thing that I mean, it is a problem with enterprise services or with distributed computing in general is that the moment you said the word distributed, yeah. the level of complexity just explodes. Right, okay? right, right. Security, hosting, processes, isolations, uh, even just for a low world, right? And so that level of complexity intimidates many who don't need you know, the extra degree of scalability and distribution. And for most developers who are just trying to uh, ship as soon as possible, learn, learning the intricacies of something like enterprise services is usually not viable. Yeah. And so, by the way, what we do at iDesign with almost every of our consulting company, our consulting customer, is work with them on that complexity, reducing them, giving them the tools, the skeleton, the vertical slices of using enterprise services so that all they have to do is just put their logic inside. And I think that's actually the right way of doing it. You have to separate the logic from the plumbing. Have an expert do the plumbing for you, in-house or out-house, it doesn't matter, and focus on the business logic where you actually add the most value for your customer. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Hey, listen, this is a good time to pause for the cause. It's about halfway during the show. We're going to get refreshments here at the studio and uh, have you guys listen to some music. Rory, I want to play one of your songs, but I want you to pick it because uh, you've got three of them. And I know the most recent one was sort of painful for you, you know, and (laughs) you may not want to hear it right now. So I really like this song, though. (laughs) It is a great song. Yeah, that's the problem with that. Why why don't you play the most recent one and I'll just get up and pee while it's going. All right. So this is Sway (laughs) by Rory Blythe and stick around. We'll see you after uh, after the hour. Thank you. 
searching for something and hidden meaning. Never happy in the place I am. Truth changes, but the facts remain the same. Just to be amazed every day. On a clear night, I can see my brothers. On a clear Hey, it's Carl here. Want to just let you know about uh, what's going on at franklins.net for classes. We got the old standby, the VBNet Masterclass happening November 15th through the 19th uh, and December 6th through the 10th. And we're going to have our winter schedule uh, for 2005 up. But I want to make a very important announcement, and that is our prices are going up next year. That's right. So if you want to get the class for 2000 bucks. You probably want to take the uh, November December class because it's going up in January. Uh, we just uh, want to be competitive with market, and uh, we're we're underpriced right now. And uh, so there you go. We don't want to give the impression that we suck or anything, you know. So so we're gonna uh, we're still gonna be the low the price leader in uh, five day hands on training, but you know we're just gonna raise it up a bit. Also, the ASP.net Masterclass, October 25th, which is today, probably, if you're listening on Monday. Uh, so we're not going to talk about that one. On December 13th through the 17th, however, is the next one. Now, there's also uh, uh, a .NET C-Sharp Boot Camp extended with Richard Hale Shaw at Franklin's Net in New London, happening November 29th through December 3rd. Richard is a great teacher, and uh, this goes beyond, actually, the uh, you know the, the kind of stuff that we do. He's got, like, 12-hour days and homework and all this other kind of stuff. So, also, his policy on cancellation is different than ours. He needs three people. Uh, we don't. But if you're interested, go to www.franklins.net. Hey, uh, what'd you think about that little uh, jam right there? That was uh, a new one.
And uh, I was actually playing all the instruments in that, the drums, the piano, the bass, and the guitar. It was kind of fun. And that was truly a 3 a.m. thing. At the same time? No. No, but that but that drum beat is like one that I practiced and practiced and practiced. That's the Purdy Shuffle, which you can hear kind of the same beat in Rosanna by Toto and Home at Last, Babylon Sisters from... Uh, it's a smooth jam. From Steel nice. Jan. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of that again. Listen to that. Listen to that. <laughs> Just listen to the beat. It's so incredibly complex. Nice I love that. Yeah, it's good stuff. So anyway, that's our that's our new filler number twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, Franklin's net. So um hey Rory, you still there? I am still here. Awesome. Before we get back to Juval, we got a couple of things. And, you know, there was a piece of mail that I didn't read as uh, and, and some announcements that uh, that I didn't talk about. I really didn't talk about Pwop Productions and podcasting and the kind of the, the media we've been getting recently has been amazing. We got, as you know, last week we got talked about, I talked about getting quoted in Wired. This week, the New York Times of all places called me, said they're doing a story on podcasting and could they come up and interview me? So, of course, I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yesterday, uh, Thursday, a guy, a photographer came down and photographed Jeff and I at the soundboard, you know, looking like we're mixing and, you know, doing stuff, which, you know, we kind of were, but, you know, it was a little bit put on, but all right, they, were, they wanted a good picture. And uh, on Sunday, the, the guy who's doing the interview is coming up to, uh, to interview me. So they're doing a story on podcasting and they wanted to... And, you know, .NET Rocks is one of the premier mm. podcasts currently available, <laughs> apparently, according to our fans, anyway. So yeah, this... Fools? And we, <laughs> yeah, fools. <laughs> no kidding. A bunch of guys laughing and talking about, you know, all that weirdo stuff. What does that have to do with .NET? Sick, sick, sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway... um. We started a, we, you know, uh, I, we just figured that we do the talk show thing so well and we do it remotely. Like you're in Portland, I'm in New London. We've, we did the Miguel de Acasa show where I was in what, Florida, I think, or Mm -hmm. in, yeah, I was in Florida and you were in Portland and Miguel was in Boston and, you know, we made it sound good. So we do this to remote talk show stuff and we figured there with the podcasting craze, there must be other people who want to do it and who don't have the equipment and the expertise and the talent to pull, to pull it off. So we're, you know, hiring, we're, we're for hire, basically. So we, we have a website, www.pwop.com, P-W-O-P, and we announced it last Friday, and Scoble announced it, and, and I announced it on the blog, and, you know, Chris Sells announced it, and a whole bunch of people are talking about it now. And uh, so I got this email from a fan, and check this out, Roy. This is really interesting. Carl... Based on your awesome track record with .NET Rocks content and audio quality, I assert that PWAP will be a, become a big success for you. Another angle to consider is signing up subscribers before you have a full content menu. Maybe you're waiting for content at PWAP first, but I, and I bet thousands of .NET Rocks fans, would subscribe early in the game to give you an audience mass to help lure in content providers. I'm in constant search of technical, humorous, informative audio content 
And I think .NET Rocks is one of, if not the, best free audio programs around. I just love your show, and your humorous and musical injections make the show so much fun to listen to. You and Rory and Staffords, and they didn't even use the FanZoo generator. I mean, you know, this is handwritten <laughs> here. You and Rory and the staff are extremely talented. Keep up the great work and consider leaning on your faithful .NET Rocks listeners to help you form a large subscriber base at PWAP. Many of us are professional programmers with a paycheck, and so we have some funds at our disposal for reasonable subscription fees if you can gather and podcast the content. No need to reply, just sharing some thoughts and non-boilerplate praise with you. Given how much I've learned and enjoyed .NET Rocks audio downloads and how many times you and Rory have made me laugh like hell, I would subscribe to a fee-based service business of yours in a heartbeat. How cool is that? That's almost That's awesome. scary. Me rich. Yeah, it's almost scary. That was from Mike Schmidt. And Mike, wow, what can I say? I mean, I, I wish I could believe you. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, it's we're, you know questions. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's all good, I guess. So um, we have a couple of uh, segments at this point in the show before we bring back Javal. Uh, the first one by Mr. Kirk Webb. It's time for the Weird Wide Web. This is the uh, bit in which Kirk Webb, you know, .NET developer, uh, pretends to be funny. Pretends is, is the right <laughs> word. By going out and finding some somewhat off websites just to break up the, you know, break up the technical content with something stupid and asinine, which I, is I, what I, we're going for here. I have to admit, to be honest, that uh, 99.9987% of these uh, links have been uh, donated by loyal.net rocks and <clears throat> the one or two weird wide web uh, <laughs> listeners, and um, I'm extremely, extremely gracious. Thank you. Thank yeah, they're you. dropping off like flies right now. <laughs> yeah, fly. They're running from the chat room. Oh, oh so I decided oh. to, um, you know, do the neutered one first. And okay, then we'll we'll get progressively worse, uh, and then you can stop. <laughs> Great, me. you can stop me. After that, Google weirdos. I think the sky's the <laughs> limit now. The first one is uh, shrinkster.com forward slash one. QG, that's one QG, and uh, this was uh, this was actually kind of a toy, but it's not really technical. I think it's hilarious for all you Godfather Part One fans. Part one, part one, part one, uh, part one. Yes, it is the Godfather oh, horse head pillow. Oh yuck! Love it, love it. Crop circle. Well, what's, the, what's that shrinkster address? One uh, QG. Crop Circle is the name of the company. K R O P S E R K E L. It's like German. Crop Circle. Crop Circle. But uh, it's shrinkster.com, one QG. <laughs> I love that. That is so awesome. I like the X over the, the X I, the indicating tongue, death. The tongue sticking the tongue out. Hanging out. <laughs> it's awesome. Kirk, that's beautiful. Isn't that nice? It's not even that tasteless. I didn't, that's that excellent. Was, that was a really good uh, entry. That's cool. It's, it's weird, but you know, that's weird that I'd actually, I don't know about $70 weird, but weird plus $20 shipping. <clears throat> Yikes. Yikes. Anyway. Okay, this next one is uh, well, it's bad. This was uh, another uh, entry by a loyal listener. This is shrinkster.com forward slash one QA. That's one QA. Kind of a gag gift, um, but um, nice. This is a 
TurdTwister.com. Oh, God. Turd Twister. Do you remember that Play-Doh fun factory you had when oh, you were a kid? Geez. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's Is this a real right. product? Yeah, I Yes, it, yeah, it's a real product. Oh. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I mean, remember, remember when you were Play-Doh fun factory, how much That's what the Play-Doh thing is all about, it's right? All, it's it's an anal toy. It's that's about what fun. it's about. It's all about having a good time. <laughs> Can I tell you something that's really weird about this? <laughs> You've got one. I, um, no, no, no. It's not, I was thinking earlier today about how this guy, Jason Olsen, um, is always tearing me a new asshole every time he sees me. He insults me. And, and when I was thinking about it, I suddenly pictured an asshole with multiple um, orify. And I imagined the Play-Doh factory that I had when I was a kid. So I was just thinking about that today. Isn't that weird? I thought that was weird. It's kind of like cosmic. Um, I just wish it hadn't been about this, that it had been about like true love or something. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was kind of like the spaghetti turd model. I can't believe I said that. I hate that word. Turd is such a bad word. It's word be- it's, bad. it's bad because it's right in the middle. It's not really bad. It's not really good. It's right in the middle. Is it turd It's not committed to being evil. I'm going to the- shut up. Is it the spaghetti oh, or the turd geez. word? It, the, the, I can say spaghetti just fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. That's got to be tough to pass if you get that spaghetti All right, one on, okay. you know? <laughs> Next. <laughs> uh, okay, oh, jeez. So, I'm going to get a call about that oh, one. Oh, yeah. So how many of you uh, loyal DocNet rock listeners, uh, I'm assuming we have uh, some um, few female .NET rock listeners, but others uh, had sisters who had Cabbage Patch Kids when they were little. This is a new... Um, a new kind of toy. This is 1Q8. 1Q8. It's, uh, I think it's pronounced Fetopia or Fetopia. These are little fetus and pals. What? Fetus. Little, little, little. Fetus pals? Little fetus, fetus pals. <laughs> Why do you say that, Gark? Oh. This? That's just weird. <laughs> wow. Whoa. That is out there. Whoa. That was also donated by Donna. So Rock these looks like little cabbage patch dolls with bug eyes. <laughs> yeah, but they're little little fetuses. But they're just little <clears throat> half embryo Whoa. things. Whoa. <laughs> That's pretty. So Whoa. what's the wow. pur- what is the purpose they're little of this co- thing? They're collectibles. They're little collectibles. <laughs> Good l- Fido gear? I can buy gear? Oh, wow. Jewelry, clothing. Six signature collectibles. Very nice. What sick, sick, indiv- twisted individual I would get one of these? don't know. You would, maybe. I have several. <laughs> <laughs> New for 2004. Wow, these are great. Now, I, I don't know if these are made out of Play-Doh or are they soft and squishy. I, I I don't know. That's, uh, I, know. I don't know, man. I don't, you These are the questions that keep me up at night. While you're compl- rocking and music, I'm thinking, what are they made of? <laughs> what could they possibly made? These are the thoughts that kept me out of the really good schools. Wait a minute. What, Arthur? You should make a giveaway for that. Uh, oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. No. Hey, I got this fetus at Dot Net Rocks. <laughs> And, and that and that's that that thank God is it. That's it. You know, just when you think you're running out of weird sights. That is just insane, insane, my friend. But uh, you know, you're there's you're not want for weird sights, obviously. No, we've got the, a nice loyal fan base. And from the weird to the insane, it's the uh, <laughs> Ask Rory with Rory Blythe. 
sleep. Thank you, thank you very much. Into your tent I will creep. Tip it's the chic of Araby, ladies and gentlemen. Tony Orlando version. Did you just so, hit play on your Casio keyboard? Did you like hit no. the Roomba button or whatever it is? <laughs> All right, my friend. Ask Rory is a segment in which Rory Blythe answers your questions about programming, love, relationships, jobs, you name it. Send your questions to Rory at Neopolian.com, and he will answer on the air something like this. Yeah, and I've got three questions this week, and it's it's not too long, but it's not totally short either, because I skipped last week, so i got to make up for it. So the first one is coming from Brian Kuhn, who is a regular listener. Always nice to hear from Brian. So he says, while the answer to Monty Python's question of the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow has been sufficiently answered, see shrinkster.com slash 1F6, I'm curious what the airspeed velocity of a swallow laden with a .NET Rocks coffee mug is. So, Brian, um, we don't give out DNR useless junk crap throwaway bullshit to just anybody. And I can't imagine that we give one of our precious sought after and coveted mugs to some stupid bird. So although I know precisely what its airspeed or actually I don't know precisely what its airspeed velocity would be. I do know that it had better be moving pretty quickly because we prosecute shoplifters to the full extent of the law. And Carl and I are going to work that bird over when we catch it. So the next (laughs) one is from Dewey. Uh, Pingum. I don't quite know how to say it. It's spelled P-I-N-G-U-M. And I'm sorry if I really massacred that, Dewey. I just want to make sure that everybody knew who you were. Um, and as a side note, um, some interesting things happened. Uh, uh, some interesting things actually happened to your uh, job security when you get mentioned on the show. So anyway, so dear Rory, <laughs> I am a .NET developer working here on a web-based system for a major bank in New Jersey. I'm a bit puzzled by a question my coworkers have been asking me over and over for months. See, they ask me this question when I write some new code or whenever I suggest a design modification to the system. Hell, they'll ask me this when I do just about anything. And not only verbally, they'll ask me via email, via instant message, and they'll even ask me with post-it notes stuck to my monitor. I just don't know how to answer them, Roy. I'm stumped, so I figured I'd, uh, I figured I'd pass this on to you and uh, your infinite wisdom. The question goes something like this. What the f***? <laughs> so sometimes the emphasis is on what, e.g. what the f***. Sometimes it's on the f***, like what the f***. I know that in many languages, even a slight change of inflection can completely modify the meaning of a phrase. So are these variables some kind of cultural colloquialism? Please help a fellow developer out here, Roy, for the sake of my career and peace of mind. I really, really need to know what the f*** your number one fan, Dewey. Jeff's going to have a heyday with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, dear Dewey, uh, you saucy little tart, um, you should really just go into management. So the next one is... uh, from somebody named Tobek. That's T-O-B-E-K, which is one hell of a, an exotic name. I have no idea where that's from. So Tobek. He says, maybe you can help more on this longer question, which is buried at the end of this rant. I've been a VB guy since I first started programming in the early 80s, apart from a brief diversion into Pascal in 84. Now, first of all, was VB around then? <laughs> the, the early 80s? Anyway, um, one thing I've always completely hated about Microsoft products is how they name everything my something. I hated this f***ing plague infecting Windows so much that in the early 80s, I went and got a Mac to get away from it. Moving to the mid to late 90s, I kind of felt okay with me and VB6, and even when never bothered me. But when I switched to VBNet, I found that my infection was gaining a foothold again. Now I've looked at Widby, and I found that my infection in VBNet is full-blown with my f***ing this and my f***ing that all over the shop. God. I can't freaking stand it. So finally, my question is, is it time for me to shift to C-sharp, or is there no escape? Yours in anticipation, Tobek. 
Oh, my dearest Tobek, um, being an employee of the company against which you have so recently railed, um, I want to tell you that your feedback is very important to us. And we love hearing from customers such as yourself, Here we go. Um, preferably screaming in pain as we rotate your nipples with our chromium tip tweezers or as a distant dying in hungry hell from the bottom of a well in the middle of Siberia. Um, as a C-sharp coder, I am able to differentiate between types simply by case, thereby eliminating the need for possessive pronouns hanging on my variable names, like the bacteria that hangs on skin, which can lead to necrotizing fasciitis, known commonly as the flesh-eating disease. I don't have to deal with things like this, which makes all this my crap your problem. So thanks for your question, and thanks for using our products. Very nice. God, this show is going to go down in infamy for the total number of curse words spoken. We're going to have to put a warning on on this one. I don't. I or at the beginning of that segment, we got to at least let people know it's not work safe. Yeah, or something. I can imagine that blowing across the office. You know, or, or if somebody nice at Microsoft decides to play it at the beginning of an executive meeting or something like that. You know. Okay. Uh, Carl. Tom Robbins. How are you? Is Carl? that you? <laughs> What's going on, Rory? Tom Robbins, ladies and gentlemen, just decided to call us out of the blue. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing good. I am doing very good. I've been listening to the show, and you guys rock tonight. Yeah, we're we're on fire, especially that guy out in Portland and the guy in a, that looks like a bumblebee sitting right next to me here in his yellow and black shirt. <laughs> in my stockings. In his goatee. He's a bumblebee with a goatee. He's badass. Uh-oh. We hate that. Don't mess with me, man. <laughs> I'm a queen bee, baby. A king bee. I'm going to buzz around your hive. Um, so we were talking about you in the early part of the show in the code camp, and, and uh, did you hear that little discussion? No, no. i I was been recovering. I actually took a nap earlier, but you can't tell anybody. Well, Rory was saying that they were talking about that at uh, XML DevCon quite a lot. Excellent. So yeah. the feedback has been, like, incredible. We... Uh, I've been getting calls from people as far out as California. Um, they want to try to do it, as, as you know, down in New Jersey. Um, it was an awesome event. Hmm. Y- you know, really kind of the secret is that it's all about the community, right? It certainly is. Yeah, we had, um, I think the final count was, uh, what was it called? It was like 63 sessions. Right. We had uh, about 45 different speakers. Um, and it was just people from the community. I mean, both myself and Joe Stagner didn't even get a chance to speak because you guys, you guys filled all the slots up. Yep. And so give us, give us, tell us some stats about the New England region. We had Russ Vestino on the show last year, and he uh, has since moved to Florida, but, and he's in the Jacksonville area. But, but he sort of started this, or I don't know if he started, but he carried on. I guess it started with Bob and Larry, right? Yeah, the... The New New England England. District is, uh, wow, we've been doing kind of developer evangelism for almost 12 years. It really kind of started with Bob and Larry. Um, Let's see, that was was a long time ago. And then from Bob and Larry, uh, it moved into Russ's Tool Shed. And And the whole idea, yeah, so the whole idea is free content, you know, with and making it fun. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's it's interesting because it, it's about kind of having an event. It's really not about, you know, just spewing out content. It, right. it really is about bringing people in, yeah. letting them have a good time, and also having them kind of learn good stuff. 
And then from there, you know, hopefully they're going to go out and they're going to kind of spread the word and, you know, make sure that, you know, they're coding correctly, which is kind of really important, following yeah. the best practices and, and then helping to contribute back to the community on top of that. Now, I, I got to just let you brag for a bit because you don't, you, they don't let you brag. You know, you sound very, <laughs> you sound very corporate and very matter of fact about all this stuff, but, but tell, tell us some stats about this district, the New England district. Oh, New England is uh, we're the number one the number one community in the United States. We have by far probably the most active user groups. Um, I mean, the Code Camp was just an example. What does that of it. mean? The number one community. By far, it means we have the most developers that are the most active. Okay. Um, we have the most user groups. We have the okay. highest attendance. We have. Uh, some of the best penetration around uh, Visual Kirk Studio and .NET. I thought Rory'd like that one. <laughs> That's a great word, isn't it? <laughs> it's almost like turd, isn't it? <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. No, you know, I mean, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that uh, it's been going on a long time. Yeah. And you know, people like you and and Patrick and uh, Chris Pell Lines, yeah. really are the ones that make the community. Yeah. Well, thanks, but but I mean, this uh, this whole Code Camp idea was your idea, and last year you started it, and you know, come out on the weekend, and I think I was doing something else. I was in a user group or Dev Connections, or I think it was the Dev Teach that I was in Montreal. Yep. But anyway, this year I got to do it, and what happened? I mean, it, it's become like a national thing, right? <laughs> it's taken on a life of its own. It was funny when when I, I put out the call for speakers, um, I think there was nothing probably on the first day. Uh, and then it was probably the second night I opened up my email and I had about 30 people that wanted to speak. And it just kind of took off from there. I mean, we had um, originally. I had set registration at about 200. We were about eight weeks out from the event. That filled up in about five days. Yeah, um, and we kept bumping it up, uh, and we ended up with 420 developers on Saturday. We hmm. had 375 developers on Sunday. That's great. One of the things I'm the most proud of is we had 299 developers in session Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Wow. Wow. Hey, and by the way, uh, tell them tell who had the highest evals. <clears throat> that you did. Oh, really? Oh, no, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the highest evals were, it's your show, I'm supposed to say that, right? <laughs> no, the highest evals, we're still going through them, but um, probably the three highest sessions were uh, yours, uh, Richard Hale Shaw's, and the security sessions. But I'm not going, I haven't yeah. finished going through all the evals yet. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's been uh, it's been an incredible experience, and I don't know if you you took a look, but the new MSDN Code Camp site um, we we finally got it kind of up and functional, and uh, yeah. we're going to start linking to other Code Camps that are occurring across the United States. Awesome. Hey, uh, t- Tom, you your uh, C Sharp group in Boston had Juval recently? No, it's uh, next week. Oh, it's next week. Next week. Awesome, Juval. Have you ever been out here before? In Boston? Well, to speak at uh, .NET user groups out here. Oh, yeah, many times. Oh, cool. Sweet. So what's your? what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the crowd? I mean, I'll tell you what I think, but... What do you mean, what do you think of the crowd? 
Well, we you only know, want to hear good things, Juval. Well, you know, you go to you go to user groups and you speak to a lot of people and you you see people at different levels with different interests and you know the things that they're more interested in than other things. So, uh, you know, how would you characterize the you know the the community out here in New England? Mm. <laughs> I'm really asking you to say something that could be bad. I don't think it actually different that much from uh, other user groups I go to. Yeah. Um, I think they're really serious. I mean, you know, they're 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 pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, that's probably a better way of saying it. They're pretty but, hardcore. Yeah. They're pretty pretty academic too. You know, they're, yeah, they're well you know, educated. People only ask me to talk about hardcore, so I only see hardcore individuals. So I mean, I'm, I may have my optic vision here. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, anyway, Jubal, what, what day do you come out? Um, I'm coming on the 25th. But I'm addressing the Boston User Group on the 26th on generics. On generics, that's right. I know uh, I, I've heard from a few people that um, they're you know really looking forward to it at, at the Code Camp. That was probably one of the sessions that had the most people attending was on generics. Yeah. Right. And I would go way beyond you know the stack with an object and a stack with a T. I would basically talk a lot about generics and how to factor interfaces, well, generic interfaces and generics and delegates and generic event handlers and examples of how it's being used inside an array and... Um, cool. So generics put to use. Oh, yes. Yeah. With a lot of advanced kick to it. That's cool. So, Tom, you want to just hang out during the rest of the interview? You're welcome to. I would love to. All right. And feel free to interject if you want to. But I want to get back to, uh, Juval, what you were saying before the break about enterprise services. Right. And um, Kirk has actually done some things with enterprise services, and he had a couple of questions for you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, we're, we're looking forward to the future. Obviously, we would be in 2.0, and you were saying that how Microsoft was kind of like pushed this back in the past, and they want to bring it forward now with uh, your, as you called, .NET uh, Plus uh, a couple <laughs> years ago. Right. Um. What are we going to have to look forward to changes-wise? If I find now all of a sudden I've got a need to use enterprise services, but this is a large application, a large project that I don't really want to start developing now if, if I would do it completely differently when Wigby came out. Now, so enterprise services um, is virtually left intact in uh, Wigby. Okay. The changes I mentioned on the system transactions part are actually under the hood in the interaction between the connection object and SQL Server 2005 and so on, you don't see anything at the object model level. So your code will remain intact. Okay. Uh, I actually have one one other question. Um, Do, does that mean it's it's obsolete? No, it's, it probably means it's a dead end. Okay. Um, enterprise service is probably not going forward uh, beyond what it is uh, now. Um, that said, Enterprise Services is the gateway to Indigo. Okay. And not many people are actually acknowledging that so explicitly, but nonetheless, that is reality. In other words, if you're going to use Indigo, you're going to touch the Complus subsystem? No, if you're going to migrate your existing application base into Indigo, buying into Enterprise Services now would be the path of least ah. resistance. Okay. okay. That's interesting. Um. So Indigo would be the way to go when that comes out. And, and we'll talk some more about that later. after you're um, done. 
if I was to do use yeah, I've been I've been working with the Indigo team for uh, almost two years now. Okay. Part of the strategic design review. Hold, hold that thought because we want to get back to Indigo in a minute. But oh, okay. After I'm sorry. Questions. Um, if I was to continue to, to continue using enterprise services with a current project, um, a question I always had is, is is I could always export my components from one MTS to another. Um, now the proxies, I'm basically looking for failover. If I've got server one that has this component in MTS and it dies. Is there a way to set this up automatically without having to write code for it to fail over to, to the other server that's got this component also in MTS that was exported to it from the ser- from the first server? That's um, basically MTS what I'm looking at. MTS is not that much supported in .NET, and I think it's not supported at all in 2.0. Okay. You're, you're talking about enterprise services. I'm sorry, enterprise services. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, um, at, especially on Windows... Uh, uh, 2003 server, but also on the anything which is basically on the XP side of the family, there are various uh, administration aspects for the environment, and you can actually combine that with the load balancing and basically uh, flip the uh, call from one uh, failing server to another. And you can actually do all that without writing any code, except you have to know which knobs to tweak. Um, there were attempts in the late 90s in the software industry to write what is known as a fail-safe proxy, mm-hmm. where the proxy itself would kind of kind of get the error code from the channel and automatically resolve that and route it to the right place. But by and large, that actually doesn't work because of issues involving uh, transaction and security. So you definitely want to let the application server platform do that for instead of actually writing code that does that. I see. <laughs> so there's nothing that's really automated... I mean, I've written a lot of codes with web services where I try to connect to, to the web service that's on a, more than one machine, and if it dies in the connection or dies in the execution, I'll just go to my web config and say, okay, well, what's the other URL to the second web service that has the right, same object but, on but, it? That's right, but in essence, if if you have that need, basically your need that you describe is a need for high availability, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's existing deployment and management patterns that would address that, and some of them involve... Uh, dedicated load balancers and dedicated servers, but there's known solutions for that. You don't have to invent the wheel, and uh, to the best of my knowledge, you also don't have to write code. Excellent. Okay. Cool. But uh, Indigo, what, what we're going to get back into is... Yeah, so let's talk about Indigo. That. Let's talk about Indigo. So you've been working with the Indigo team, and, you, and you're not sure of what you can say and what you can't say, so we'll, we'll just have to do some creative editing if need be. Hey, it's going to be a longer than two-hour show today anyway, so. <laughs> and my girls are past bedtime anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what's, uh, what did you want to talk about there in that space? I mean, for, I got a question for you right off the bat. I hear this all the time. Um, should, should I not be using the WS-dash stuff in the web service extensions, enhancements, whichever it is, today? Because you know, Indigo is going to make it much easier, and and, and it's going to be totally different. Uh, and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of work to use Wissy. And the you know, if you ask me, some of the sample code isn't great. Uh, You're actually talking about three different things. You're talking about WS style, Wissy, and Indigo. And, and yeah, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about WS security. Let's say WS you security. You want me to make order of this whole mess, right? What is going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, right? please, please, because I can't so, obviously describe it. <laughs> so, so eloquently, right? Save me, pal. <laughs> so, web services is 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 a very raw, 
protocol. It's it's just how to basically forward uh, a text-based uh, um, invocation over the wire. That's all it's doing, right? It yes. It doesn't even have to use, uh, in essence, uh, a SOAP. You can use any text-based protocol, right? Typically use it over HTTP, but you can actually, in, in theory, even use it over TCP. You don't really have to use HTTP, right? Right. But by and large, for uh, course interoperability, you do use uh, HTTP, and you do use something like SOAP. Right. But... That's basically what web services are, okay? So any higher-level semantic, um, things like flowing security call context, uh, who the caller is, the credentials, flowing transactions, managing concurrency, because you can also end up with a distributed deadlock. You know, service A calling service B, calling into C, back into A, you have a deadlock that you have no way of actually resolving, right? Yeah. Dealing with all sorts of uh, notifying subscribers, subscribers about events that happen on your site, all of those higher level, almost application level semantic web services don't do. Right. Okay. Right. And so, what you could do is you could come up with um, your own proprietary way of doing it, right? Yes. And have your custom handshakes and do it. But that would be kind of like what the, in a way, what the dot com companies were trying to do. Everybody was trying to come up with their own proprietary solution, and we all know how that ended, right? Yes. So, out of the ashes of that, the leading companies in the industry, predominantly Microsoft uh, and IBM, decided on a set of standards that describe this higher-level interaction on top of web services, okay? And there's a, there's a whole slew of standards uh, WS uh, Atomic Transaction, WS Security, WS uh, Eventing, WS Discovery, and the list right. goes on, okay? And nobody as, even knows as Don all those said, uh, uh, per se. It's as Don really, said, WSY. <laughs> WS style, okay? It's a whole family of standards, yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. And nobody actually intends developers to implement those standards on their own, okay? It's totally impractical. Now. Right. And, and some of those standards are even evolving as we speak, okay? So it's truly futile to try and catch up, okay? And okay. so what Microsoft did, it said there is one specific uh, aspect of web services which, unless we address it, nobody can actually use safely web services, which is security. And they came up with a set of toolkits that are known as WSC Web Services Enhancements, which is the Microsoft implementation of some of those security standards, okay? Yeah. And that is a separate SDK you can download, and so it's called WUSI. And WUSI is just about security. Okay. And we have now WUSI 2.0. There's even going to be WUSI uh, 3.0. Now, WUSI is Web Service Enhancements, right? Right. And, and it's, it's just, it's just security. Pardon? It's just security? It's just security, none of the other things. Okay. okay. All right. right. Now, by the way, nothing prevents you from using any kind of other security mechanism for sure. web services. And for example, you can use uh, Windows security. Stuff. Just go right. to the uh, IES and check the checkbox. And if the calls are inside the intranet, that's perfect, right? And you there's the crypto API and serialization if you want to go nuts. Pardon? There's the crypto API and the framework and serialization if right, you want to go nuts. Right, but that's really wasting engineering efforts, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, by and large, most web services today are actually inside the intranet, behind the firewall. Windows security is just great. Yeah. If that doesn't work for you, you can use WUSI in .NET, right? All right. And so that's for today if you want to do yeah. something. now. So to the question Microsoft, of Indigo. Right. And so yeah. Indigo, in a nutshell, is Microsoft implementation of those set of standards. Okay? 
Okay. So instead of developers having to come up with their own implementation for reliable messaging and discovery and transaction, Microsoft has built in implementation. Imagine basically just like Wusi does for security, they basically did the entire set of standards. Okay. And that's in a nutshell Indigo. All right. So so then if you're using Wusi for security today, when when you can install Indigo, uh, you're going to be using the same the same objects and the same interfaces to do security with Indigo? And so That's the question. I know the answer, but I'm pretty positive the answer is under NDA. And so I'll I'll, I'll phrase my answer <laughs> can, very carefully. And then how can people if the answer, so the answer is, is if the answer is very important because that tells people what they should be doing today. Right. And so I can point to the fact that <laughs> Microsoft has extremely good track record with interoperability with its okay. own uh, legacy code base. Right. And just like you can consume a component in .NET, you yeah. are very likely to be able to consume um, All right. other so, things. So the answer is, even if you have to, even if it's going to be like easier wrappers around uh, WSI, it's still going to be WSI underneath. That's the, that's the answer. Oh, even in if, Indigo? In Indigo, yeah. Uh, you said that. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's the question I have. I don't know. I really don't know right, the answer I mean, you to have that. To separate, no, you have to, actually, there's two questions that you can ask. One is, if I have an Indigo implementation trying to interoperate with the WUSI service, yeah. Okay, yeah. is that going to work, yes or no? Well, that's obviously and, going to be yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't. I mean, what's the point, right? That's got to work. That's what I said before. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Giving Microsoft track record, right. it would be highly unlikely that it's not going to work. Right. And the second question is, if it is actually going to work, it's going to use Indigo plumbing or Wussy plumbing, right? So now you just said or, so that means they're different. <laughs> um, it, of course there's a difference because Wussy, the, the standards for security also continue to evolve, right? Okay. And so just like we have Wussy 2.0. So it's a very non, non-committal answer I'm getting out of you. And it's okay <laughs> because it's NDA. But right. you know that's just that's the question that goes through my mind is should I bother using Wissy today if Indigo is right and is, so the, to answer that I would have to ask it to ask what is the business uh, scenario right so so I've got web services and I'm trying to do authentication and I'm trying to pass credentials in a secure way without using HTTPS right and so all of that is true but that's I took that for granted okay okay that's like the Boundary conditions for every web service uh, scenario. Yeah, everybody's okay? going to be doing that. Everybody's going to be doing that. But if you're using it inside the intranet, you don't have to use it. You can use Windows authentication. If you're going to okay, use it but across, same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. If, if you're using it really as, as an open web service, open to the public, right, Windows authentication is obviously no good. Right. Because you don't want to have every caller with a matching account on the server, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And so you have to come up with your own credential uh, management uh, schema. Yes. So there's various uh, ways of doing that with ever-increasing. I mean, it, it's you get what you pay for, right? All right. Mm-hmm. And you can actually come up with really uh, uh, trivial <laughs> solutions such as um, um, sure. web services, uh, uh, basically soap headers that pass the credentials and use it over HTTPS. Right. You said you don't want to do that, right? Right, because it's expensive, and once you're on HTTPS, you're on HTTPS. Well, I mean, if it's expensive, it's at $100, right? It's no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean performance-wise. Oh, performance-wise. Yeah. Yes, well, you know, I, w- I would actually say it's not expensive because you're going to have to encrypt the payload anyway. 
So you're going to pass those blobs anyway. But if you're uh, so, the question is, can you once you've once you've authenticated yourself with HTTPS, I suppose you could move to a non-HTTPS directory within the same application and then use clear text for the rest of it. Or could maybe you? just encrypt some sensitive message. For example, a browse can be clear, but purchase can be encrypted, right? Well, that's that's using the payloads in WSI, is what I'm saying. And that's, that's yeah, the you scenario. Can probably, you can probably do those things too, but... That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. So if I'm doing that across the internet, let's say like I have a business partner in, in Kuala Lumpur, and we want to, you know, uh, order some stuff on the fly when somebody comes to our websites and, and purchases something from us. I want to order something from a supplier in, in Malaysia. And so I have a, an authentication. Without transaction? With, without transactions. For, right. Forgetting about transactions for the moment, and I want to get back to that. But forgetting about transactions, if I just want to send a payload that has, you know, my credentials encrypted with a key using WSI, and then have that come back and give me a little token or something like that, that I'm going to then communicate freely um, with... Probably not. Yeah. You're probably not going to do that because the problem you're going to run into is how do you share your uh, key with the other guy? Right? Assuming actually it's a truly public site, you have no but, idea who the guy really is. Right? right, Right. but you can use... Well, it's not a public site. I have a, I have a contract with my business partner. Oh, you partner. have a contract. So yeah. There was some pre-negotiation, right? Yes, yes. But, but still, yeah, I mean, when I connect, I need to be authenticated. I mean, it's not... Right, not just but I mean, the true solution for this is a passport-like mechanism where it's a federated uh, security, right? Okay. Where it's a single sign-on because you could imagine the same guy then going and purchasing something else down the line, right? Right. Sure. Yeah, so... Okay. Is, so, is, Duval, how about the simple scenario of I have a Windows server and an AS400, you know, in an intranet. Should I be using WSC today? Probably not. Okay. I would probably, uh, if you're trying to go to hop between the machines and it's .NET to .NET. No, it's, but, an, it's an AS400, so, you know, it's yeah, not. But how, yeah, but the web service is written in AS400? Yes. Huh. And so... What about just doing host name resolution? You know, if it came from this machine, it's okay. Well, so the the scenario I'm I'm seeing or I'm being asked yeah, about secure, in, in some instances is, um, you know, in, in the same scenario you gave, Carl, except the, you know, AS400 holds the orders. Mm. Um, mm. And when the front-end machine, you know, I enter the order, I need to update the, you know, uh, ERP system on the back end, and it's behind the intranet. And they're interested... The question I often see is, should we be doing WSE or, you know, should we just, um, you know, put something in a SOAP header that we send across to... Um, okay, so here's the problem. WSI requires both ends to... Uh, I mean, if you're going to use WSI on the... You can use WSI on the sender side if it's .NET, but how are you going to use WSI on the framework side, right? WSI, mm-hmm. remember, it's a .NET flavor of the implementation, right? Doesn't... So, doesn't... Um, the, You're going to have to write a ton of cobble code to do all the security stuff, which mm-hmm. probably is not going to be a piece of cake. Okay. True. Right? Yeah, it's got to work on both sides. Um, so Yuval, it's got to work on both sides. Yuval, i got a couple of questions from the chat room. Dude says, what is the performance hit by using WSI? Which is kind of an open-ended question. Yeah, how much is a car, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and what is, how does WSI affect in a web farm environment? Again, hey, dude, get a little more specific, I think. That's his name, dude. I'm not being flipped. <laughs> That's the way his handle is. What you is. can do with WUSI is you can actually have a server that 
is basically the credential store and implement an interface or a set of interfaces that you give to Wusi to say, when somebody tries to authenticate, load this guy and ask him to verify the credentials. So Wusi doesn't even know where your credential server is. You write yeah. that piece of code that looks up the credentials, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, you can actually implement all of Wusi yourself using soap headers and, and, and stuff, but then it would be proprietary, right? Right. And we were really, really trying to get away from proprietary uh, solutions. And uh, Fanzu has answered the web farm question at www.shrinkster.com slash 1QM, which is it uh, how stuff works. No, he didn't. It's why do golf balls have dimples? <laughs> Dude was asking some other questions in the chat No, but room. he said, um, yeah, but Fanzu said he answered the, uh, he answered the, uh, the question about web farms. And the he did. He said, golf um, balls the sheep are deathly afraid of it, but the cows and goats seem to be responding well in the most recent <laughs> tests. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, boy. All right, there's another one. Um, could you please ask Juval, this is from Todd K. Could you please ask Juval if there's any suggestions about Indigo Interop with the old SOAP toolkit for VB6, specifically for security authentication? Wow. Um I don't know the answer for that. I haven't seen any uh, anything on that. Um, I do know that Microsoft is working very hard on interoperability with, uh, okay. shall we say, uh, legacy systems. Okay. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. All right. So I, I appreciate your, your candor in trying to you know, answer as delicately as possible. It's just kind of, you know, people are anxious to get the, the new code and wondering what uh, what they should be doing today. But you really, said... Really, Javal, we, kinda, we get the feeling that you think this NDA is more important than um, answering the question. <laughs> oh, you and here's a Microsoft you? guy yeah, telling Javal <laughs> to what violate his NDA. <laughs> oh. um, you know, I mean... But you, I want to say something that you said earlier, that if if you want to prepare today for Indigo, the answer is more of uh, of, of enterprise services more than than WSI. Or web services in general, yes. Or web services in general. Right. And the reason I'm saying that is... That's interesting. If, if you have... Forget about Indigo and websites. Just look at, in general, in case of moving from technology A to technology B, okay? Yeah. You always have to pay for two types of changes. You pay for syntactical changes and semantical changes. And typically, syntactical changes are really easy and semantical changes are really difficult. For example, if I'm giving you the same task, uh, giving a, a, a task, I'm saying, write it for me in C Sharp. Then I'm saying to you, convert that to VB.net. That wouldn't be a big problem because it's just syntax, right? Right. Now, but if I'm giving you a, a task and I'm saying write that in uh, in C sharp, and I'm saying keep C sharp but change that from uh, structured to event driven, mm -hmm. that would be a hellish task, right? Yeah, sure. Because you change the programming model, right? And so syntactical changes are usually very difficult and very very easy, and and semantical changes are usually difficult. Because they actually amount to changing the design after you have a code, which is we all know is very expensive, right? Yeah. And so if, if you're trying to anticipate Indigo and you're saying, 
I want to migrate this code base or a set of applications to Indigo, you would want to use a programming model that approximates Indigo's programming model as much as possible, right? And it turns out that the, in my opinion at least, the Indigo's programming model uh, resembles enterprise services the most in the respect that you use off-the-shelf plumbing in a declarative way. You use attributes to annotate your objects or your services. Yeah. And that's basically enterprise service programming model. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Indigo is going to be easier and nicer and more palatable, but it's the same programming model. And so suppose you do have an application today that you're trying to use web services, and you're saying, I need also transactions. Well, that's really a big problem. You have to spit blood to do that today. Right. Apples and oranges. Right. But you could do it. I mean, it's sure. not impossible. Just a lot of code that you probably so, should And then when do. you move to Indigo, you have to gut out all that code, right? and put Indigo attributes. But if you're using enterprise services, you just replace those attributes with those attributes, and you're more or less done. And we can actually go down the list of all the plumbing that Indigo provides. You're going to see that there's a matching attribute in enterprise services. And so it really is the enterprise services programming model. And so if you anticipate moving to Indigo two, three, five years in the future, adopting ES today would give you the path of least resistance. Now, that is true as long as you don't have to cross the boundary. I mean, if you have to go through a firewall, if you have to uh, jump technologies, you know, calling to framework, into frame, into mainframes, or uh, um, any kind of, of something that doesn't accept .NET metadata and such, then ES is no good. You still have to use web services, right? Yeah. And by the way, we're going to uh, briefly say goodbye to Rory, who had to leave for a date. <laughs> well, you know, an encounter with a female and everything, yes. But, so um, uh, thanks for hanging with us, man. Well, you know, thanks for having me as usual, and thanks for being on the shows, guys. And Tom, it was definitely nice to talk to you. You know, I haven't talked to you since, well, in a while, and Juval, as always, it's a pleasure. So. See you in Vegas. Take yeah. care. Good night, everybody. Rapid. See you, Roy. You know, but people have to understand that uh, Indigo is not, you know, com on, or decom on enterprise services over web services. It's not the same thing, okay? It's not just a better way of doing things using XML under the hood. It, it, yeah. it, it, for example, I mean, if you look at things like remoting, they can actually uh, marshal object references, and there's a whole semantic of, of graph and such. None of that exists if you're trying to do a service-oriented architecture. You are trying to decouple yourself from those things. And so Indigo, in my opinion, would actually enable people to do things that you just can't do today and, and have new business models. And that's really the key. Um, being hmm. able to integrate solutions much faster and such. And so it's uh, it's not just a better way of doing what we do today, although to some extent it could actually replace what we do today. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I don't see people actually moving to Indigo just for the sake of moving to Indigo. I suspect people would move to Indigo because it would give them a new business opportunity. Okay, it would address a new business opportunity. Right. And that would be the driver for Indigo, in my opinion. Yep. Okay. So you were were telling me that um, on the show tonight you wanted to talk about some of the things you like and some of the things you're not all that pleased about in in .NET 2.0. So I can pretty much tell the stuff that you're excited about. Let's. uh, Let's. Well, everything we've been talking about. You're you're talking about generics, talking about serialization. There's a lot of great stuff. I mean, obviously we could go on forever, but. I'm really curious as to the other side of that coin, which is some so things actually, you have. On the, list, on the list of the things that 
I'm excited about it's system dot transactions, right? Don't right. forget that. Yeah. It's the uh, generics yep. and it's uh, click once, which I think is just phenomenal. Yeah. Being able to deploy smart clients all over your enterprise so easily and get handle of the versioning. And uh, in fact, in the uh, November conference, we have quite a few sessions on uh, click once and the supporting technologies. Yeah. And um, we're actually going to have even a higher share in the next conference. Um, lots of things that I like and I think are actually good drivers for the technology. You're saying now what I don't like? Yeah. Hmm. I don't like um, some attempts of dumbing down the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I think that the project systems for uh, web projects, for web services and ASP.NET is simply wrong. In okay. ASP.NET, they're basically trying to make it uh, like interdev. Right. No beginning, no end. You just type code in a file. You don't even see your class member variables. They're all just hidden away. There's no projects. Um, how do you sign a web service assembly? I, I, I don't know how to do it because there's no assembly really until you actually get to run it. Right. And so... So you think it's going to breed a new class of uh, para developer, to put it in such a term? Um no, I think what .NET will do in the long run is actually eliminate the middle ground. Yeah. Well, you are going to have, you know, more to really dumb develop. I'm not say dumb, but really. Uh, um, yeah, you don't want to say that. Focus, pardon? Yeah, you don't want to say that. No, I'm not saying that. Maybe dumb is not the right word because we're all dumb in some respects, right? Um, we don't. We everybody else is is ingenious in one respect and an idiot in others, right? And so. You're going to have basically a class of developers who are not professional software engineers, right? They don't understand yeah. plumbing. They don't understand um, maintenance. They don't understand design. They don't understand process. They don't understand any of those things. Right. All they know is some rudimentary business tools and how to slap buttons on forms, right? Okay. And you're going to, and you're going to have, on the other end of the spectrum, basically architects who design really complex services and applications. Uh-huh. And .NET and supporting tools from Indigo to Bistock is basically going to bridge this gap. That's, I think, you know, in the long term where the industry is heading. So, Juval, what are you, uh, after your stint in, in Boston, what's on the, and, you know, bef- maybe, are you doing anything before Dev Connections? Or are you doing anything after it? What's, uh, oh, I'm what's on the, like crazy to the end of the year. What's on the horizon? Yeah, I have uh, a conference in Vegas coming up uh, in two weeks' time. Okay, right. And then I'm going to Europe for two weeks. I'm teaching a class in Sweden, and I'm addressing a conference in uh, Denmark. Yeah, okay. Then, uh, What's the conference in Denmark? It's uh, actually a .NET conference from the uh, Danish Institution of Technology. Cool. Apparently they have a little gig going in there every, few, every year or so. And then I have... Uh, classes in December, and that's basically the end of the year, so pretty much uh, traveling uh, back-to-back. Wow. And uh, you get to ever get any time to sleep, or? <laughs> uh, sleep on the airport and the plane. <laughs> Avi wants to know, when will you come to Israel? Um, who wants to know? Avi Ruff. He's uh, in the chat room. I'm actually going to be Aviv. there. Aviv. Aviv Ruff. I'm sorry. I'm actually going to be there in December. Really? Another one of yeah, I'm teaching the class. <laughs> cool, sweet. 
Oh, is there any anything you want to plug? I mean, your book, your components book, is now in the in its second edition. Right. I Great spent, book, by uh, the way. Pardon? Great book. I love Thank it. You. I couldn't hear that. Can you say that again? Your your book, your components <laughs> book, is in its second edition. Am I talking loud enough for you? Uh, <laughs> I'm just repeating the great part. <laughs> no, no, it was great. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I uh, spent uh, the better part of this summer uh, on a second edition, added about uh, two more years of techniques and uh, utilities I developed, as well as upgrading the book dotnet 2.0 I make uh, very extensive use of Fishop 2.0 and the yeah. 2.0 framework and we're just waiting for a few more screenshots from uh, the actual uh, product and then we're going to go into production with the book awesome I got to say your first book is required reading it's it sits right next to my computer and I, I really really enjoy it and I learned a lot from reading you mean it. the uh, first edition yeah the first edition yeah Good stuff. So I added a lot of stuff to the second edition. Cool. If you like the first edition, the second edition uh, is really, really good. Awesome. Those who have actually read it so far uh, are really pleased with it. Awesome. Uh, Tom, you got any last-minute words before uh, before we give you a cigarette and execute you here? Absolutely. I'd like to let everyone know. Um, I don't know if you know, Carl, but we're... Uh, the Windows Mobile Group is doing a small contest where we're looking for compact framework samples for Visual Studio 2003. And the way it works is for the entire amount of samples we get, we're going to give away 5% um, free devices. So if we get 3,000 samples, we're looking to give away 150 devices. Wow. So it's, it's an awesome opportunity. It's all part of the Mobility Roadshow um, that's running across the country, uh, and where I think we've done four cities or five cities, and there's a they we're doing St. Louis and Kansas City next week, um, and if you can't go, they have a great toolkit that you guys can go download. But I'd love all of your listeners to submit some compact framework samples and possibly win a free shiny Windows mobile device. Wow! So Tom, give us a little. Inside tip, what kind of apps will win this contest? You know, it's funny. <laughs> any kind. You know, it's, <laughs> what we're looking for is ones that are interesting yeah. and ones that are useful because we want to post them as samples. I've seen some so great like, samples so far on video. Um, you know, people uh, are doing some streaming video to compact framework devices. So like Pong would not be a very good <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, you, you never know, right? Um, someone sent me a uh, kind of a first-person shooter shooter game. Um, it's just it's interesting. It's completely open. We're going to wow. sit down and we're going to try to figure out which are the better ones. That's awesome. Okay, well, awesome. And you have a URL for that? Um, actually, you can just go right to right to my weblog, and I've I've got kind of the instructions up there. That's uh, uh, slash T Robbins. And okay. if you want to get more information on the mobility tour, that's msmobility.com. Um, or if you want to download the toolkit, that's off of Microsoft Mobility slash the kit. Cool. Cool. And, well, thank you, Carl. Yeah, you're welcome. And All uh, right. Juval, you got any last minute uh, words of wisdom to impart on the listeners before we take off? Just uh, thanks for having me as usual. And uh, always a pleasure. Absolutely, and when Indigo goes into uh, Beta 1, perhaps we have a dedicated session on that. 
Absolutely. Awesome. I can't wait. And I appreciate your candor and, and your uh, sticking to the uh, <laughs> sticking to your word, keeping your word on the NDA, which is important. So we'll, we'll definitely have you back when you can say more. Well, on behalf of myself and uh, Rory Blythe out there in Portland, who had to take off for a date, and Kirk Webb sitting in the studio, Jeff Maciolik in the sound room, Tom Robbins, Juval Lowy, this is Carl Franklin saying thanks for listening, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be here next week in podcast, and look for us in the New York Times this week. Take care. Don't